Hey, welcome back to another episode of Ruby Rogues. This week on our panel, we have Valentino Stoll. Hey, now. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. A lot of stuff coming down the pipe on Top End Devs. Um, I'm going to be starting a, kind of a Ruby Masters group uh, for people to get together and uh, level up their Ruby. So if you're looking for something, group of people that meets on a weekly basis, we have a call or a class or something, uh, go check it out. I'll do more of a pitch later. Uh, we also have a special guest this week, and that's Daniel. Um, I'm not brave enough to try your last name. So why don't you introduce yourself and um, and then we'll get rolling. Certainly. I go by DB. Um, I live in New York, an engineer, been working in Ruby since 2010, approximately. I co-maintain oh, nice. Ruby Grape, Hashi, a bunch of other Ruby things, Slack Ruby client. So I've spent my entire day today writing Python code, but uh, I'm so excited to talk about <laughs> Ruby, which is the best programming language. So is your full-time gig writing Python then? No, not at all. Uh, my uh, I've been... Last four and a half years, I've been working on open source at AWS. So I've been working okay. on the open search project, which is a open source fork of Elasticsearch and Kibana. And okay. uh, we uh, maintain the open source project. And it's it has some Ruby in it. Uh, it has okay. eight language clients. One of them is open search Ruby, which, you know, I don't write a lot of code in. There's smarter people than me to do that. Uh, but today I've been I worked on the open source Python clients, uh, amongst other things. Okay, sounds good. Um, I was just I was like, oh well, that's usually not a take we get. So yeah, I just thought we'd uh, clarify that. So yeah, oh, that, um, that Ruby is not the best programming language. That's not the take that you get on this podcast. <laughs> I'm always just curious because people, you know, I talk to people to do Go or JavaScript or whatever, and it's like. I'm curious yeah. why you think that. <laughs> yeah. Well, go ahead. You have to check errors twice. This is crazy. It's it's inhuman, inhumane. <laughs> this is go go has more error checking lines than uh, than useful code. So that should not even qualify as a programming language. <laughs> I don't disagree oh. with you there. <laughs> I I haven't done enough with it to know, but okay. Uh why is Ruby better than Python? Um, well, I think I think people in Ruby are very nice, as as we all know. And then uh-huh. Ruby has, I think, much better dynamic programming capabilities that make it a delight to use. The the libraries, the tooling, is also way better put together. Like it's probably because contributors have not built something good enough. But let's take. You take, for example, Rubocop that does all kinds mm-hmm. of linting. That's an amazing, awesome project. And uh, if you look in Python, you have you need to combine iSword, Black, PyLint, and uh, another like five tools to get the same result. And then the, each one of the tools has even documentation about here's how you configure the other tools so that it matches. Uh, the my my way of configuring it so like max line length I have Python projects where there is eight places where I have to specify that they're all the same oh. number but <laughs> so I think the tooling is a lot nicer and then RBN all the there's a lot of equivalence in in the Python world but uh, right. from the infrastructure I think Ruby is far far superior in how mature and easy it is to use and mm-hmm. how consistent and uh, pleasant it is. It's just pleasant. It's less Sounds good. Well, cool. Um, I mean, I've, I've been happy with Ruby for years. We also have somebody that keeps popping on and watching a few seconds and then popping off. So um, if they pop back on, they're welcome to leave a comment. But um, yeah, let's go ahead and, and talk about Grape. So... Um, Everybody on this call said they've used it. Uh, one of us helps maintain it. And the, other, the other two of us host this podcast. So, um, yeah. Do you want to kind of give people the 10,000 foot view on Grape? Just let them yeah, know what maybe it is. And... I, I started using Grape in 2011 when we needed to wow. uh, write an API uh, in Ruby. So, 
actually, maybe a longer story. I joined the startup Artsy. I'm wearing a T-shirt from Artsy, an Artsy offsite mm-hmm. from like 2017. Um, and Artsy had to quickly build a prototype for a search, an art search that was called the Art Genome uh-huh. Project. So you search for artworks and Artsy shows you similar works by other artists based oh, on uh, a similarity. So it's a similarity engine. It's very, very relevant today because a lot of the nearest neighbor search today is, is what Artsy was developing in 2011. And uh, we, we wanted to do it in a hurry because, you know, two or three people, little money, no time, investors, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So I went around uh, the... Uh, New York startups and asked a bunch of people, "What? How should I build this?" And we're going. We're thinking of restarting a prototype greenfield. The, the initial prototype was built by a couple of engineers. It was JBoss, Java, horrible thing. And uh, <laughs> I, I just didn't want to touch it. And it didn't work, of course. It's too heavy. And then, uh, so I went around New York startups and I said, "What should I use?" And uh, Harry at Foursquare at the time was, "You should use Ruby on Rails and MongoDB." Okay, let me try that. And I have never done either. So I've never written a line of Ruby. I've never touched MongoDB. I just installed and went running. And then within three weeks, we had a working prototype on Ruby on Rails. Um, Then we got serious about uh, doing uh, an API. And I looked of how to build an API with Rails. And I was confused why I have all this HTML stuff going on. I just wanted an API. I didn't want to write any controllers. Mm -hmm. That's how I stumbled upon Grape. I tried it and loved it because it was actually the language of the APIs. It was highly opinionated, but very easy to use. And uh, I started contributing features to it then and eventually contributed enough to become its co-maintainer. So I didn't didn't invent Grape by any means, but I've been uh, one of its primary maintainers since about you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, some, some years, 10 years ago. Uh, but uh, Grape was started by this, the, the folks at a company called Intradea. And uh, mm-hmm. they, they announced it, I think, at RubyConf in 2010 in New Orleans. And uh, it was the initial author, I think, is Michael Bly and uh, uh, Jerry Chang, if I pronounce his name. Right, uh, they eventually left in Tridea around 2015, and it became 2015. We created the Ruby Grape org, moved a bunch of projects in it, and made it the real community thing. And so that I've been I've been involved in that ever since. Um, it has some massive amounts of stars, forks, and still used by lots of people. So yeah, Grape is a DSL for APIs. If you don't want to write a class controller and want to write get, put, post with an implementation, uh, that's basically great. And then if you want to describe parameters, you know, you write params and you say optional ID type integer, and off you go, and it does verification for you. So it's a DSL to writing RESTful APIs. It sits somewhere between Sinatra and Rails. Easiest way to write a RESTful API. And can you write it in more? I've only used it with Rails. You can use it with other frameworks, right? Oh, absolutely. So I have a bunch of pet projects that never have any Rails in them. And uh, they're all Ruby Grape APIs. And they it's mounted on Rack. So Grape, okay. just like Rails, is mounted on Rack. You have a web server, like, I don't know, Puma. And you have Rack. And then you can choose. You can do Rails. You can do Grape. You can do both of them together if you'd like. So they're not mutually so... exclusive by any means. So you can do it with any rack-based applications. You can put it on Rota or anything. Absolutely. It just works. Good deal. So I'm curious, Valentino, and I'll I'll answer this question in a minute, but where have you used Grape? Yeah, I have kind of a weird uh, on-ramp to Grape <laughs> in that... Uh, <laughs> I, I was working at a consultancy and we had like a, you know healthcare related company come to us and they had their own like java you know oracle kind of like <laughs> enterprise uh you know backends mm-hmm. that they used uh and they they were looking to us to just like quickly iterate on you know making a new like identity service or something i forget what it was something just like purely api driven uh and so 
we we came up we're doing some research and came across grape and it was like perfect it like seemed super easy exactly what we we're looking for we needed like low level controls at, at the rack level and uh grape it, it kind of gave that easy snap in features uh that we were looking for uh and i mean this is this predates rails api right which maybe we would have adopted more uh and Sinatra had a lot more things you had to add to it. It wasn't as up to speed as Grape was at the time. Uh, yeah, and so I, I developed in JRuby using Grape uh, and Oracle, and it it worked seamlessly. <laughs> I will say this was you know, maybe 10 years ago, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but I really loved how you can just like, you know, you create your own branches of APIs and mount them individually if you have, you know, a Rails app or another Rack app, uh, and you can mount individual APIs uh, that you want to like keep separated uh, to keep the domain logic together. Uh, so it, it it worked really well for what we were trying to apply. I'm yeah. just surprised you weren't. Uh, there was no Python in your story. <laughs> 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 no Python oh, in my no. life. That came way, way later <laughs> when I when I started getting into data stuff. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so it's, it's not as interesting. <laughs> yeah, so great for me. Um, I mean, I've played with it probably several times over the last several years, and for for a lot of the simple APIs, yeah. Can can I just rewind and say that uh, the Rails default of adding JSON and JBuilder to my controllers is freaking the wrong decision, and I love David to death, but that default is stupid. Um. Uh, okay, I said it. I've uh, gotten it off my chest. I said my piece. Yeah, um, running the API, because the API concerns and the API users are different from the UI, from the HTML. And so, anyway, I like dividing them out. Um, and yeah, the controller feels like overkill, right, for managing, you know, it's like, oh, go get the data. And then, right, render it as json well if i need to if i need more fine grain control something like grape is really really nice so yeah i think if you if you wanted to add like some factories in there to the controllers and you could also almost be writing java and yeah uh, it's these these <laughs> um, words like controller they don't exist in restful apis uh, rest rest yeah. is get put post patch yeah delete. And I think yep. D- R- Ruby excels in DSLs, just call things by their name. And you, like, yep. you don't need a router. You can just write what the API is. So yep. I like how Grape keeps these things together. And in Rails, you explode the uh, the concerns to many different places. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's a matter of preference, possibly. And I like that I get to, like my entire API is in one place. And Everything, everything that's business logic is right there in the API that I'm implementing. Right. So I did work on a project that was using Grape last year for a client, and they used it extremely heavily. So they had built this app in like Rails, I don't know, three, four. Um, I'm not going to go into who they were because I, I, it's it's just not worth you know hashing over what I liked or didn't like about their project. Um, but I also upgraded their project from Rails 4 to Rails 6. And it was nice. One thing that was nice about Grape was that I didn't have to fuss with Grape. I didn't have to fuss with the API. Um, but they had built a bunch of stuff that had a bunch of nesting. And they had built a bunch of other pieces to it to customize different ways that the data, the data was rendered. And granted, their application was not simple. But... This is where I found pain with Grape was that because I wasn't super familiar with all the ways you can customize it, I had to go learn some of the ins and outs. Um, it, with with the real simple APIs that I've built for my own stuff, I generally didn't run into this stuff. It's just like, hey, you know, you you hit a get or you hit you know whatever, and you you give back entities with these fields on them, and you know, Grape is super nice for that. But yeah. Where they had gotten super, you know, deep into, we need the API to behave in these ways on these things and maintain access controls on these other things. That's where it really got messy, where the different entities, yeah, anyway. Um, 
and I'm trying to remember this, not having the code in front of me and not having worked on it in like seven, eight months. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I it, totally it was very complicated. Should, yeah, you should ask for your money back, Charles. I, I'm totally with you. This is <laughs> great, great, grateful, happily refund you. Nobody's giving money back. They paid me. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, it's anyway. not. I, I agree. I think. I think as as always, applications grow with so many layers and complexities, uh, and uh, it's difficult to evolve regardless of what framework you use. Grape is simple. It's true. Uh, it's not. There's many, many non-trivial parts to it. Like I've built versioned APIs that are can be yeah. pretty complicated, but uh, when you, when, I always tell people, if you're building on Grape, uh, it's the way it's opinionated is there to both save you time and prevent you from making future mistakes. And yeah. it's sim- it's both simple and opinionated in good ways, just like most of Ruby is. Rails is really the Swiss Army knife, uh, and like one with uh, 300 attachments. Yep, I will say Grape to me, like is is definitely one of the best like examples of Ruby's expressiveness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in that you know, you, you could read you know a Grape API and like understand it right away just looking at it, and I think that made it easy to get started with too. Uh, and I think it's a good example of just like you know, DSL design in general <laughs> with Ruby and what you can do. Um, in in pull requests from the, what is it now, 419 contributors to Grape, which is, I think, a very impressive number, we always ask, um, what would you like a developer to write first using Grape? Mm-hmm. What's the, and then we, the next question is, can it be shorter? <laughs> or can they not write it at all? And then we we get this is how contributions go. <laughs> yeah, <That's great. laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. And the other thing, <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing I like about the opinionated stuff is that effectively it's like what eighty ninety percent of the time are you going to not need to specify, right? Yeah. That's where the opinions come in. And then when I want it to do something different from the norm, that's when I come back and say, okay, I have an option for this. Yeah, and then we end up with hashing, and then it's a nightmare. <laughs> so I haven't used hashing in a long it's time. Really bad. I've I've had so many issues with hashing in the past. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's written by the same people. It's all yeah. hashing comes out of Intradia. Yeah. And that's right. Intradia writes it out of Grape for the most part. Uh, it's uh, Michael Day and company. It's the same folks. But hashing like went the the dark side. It's so easy that its <laughs> its side effects are, are dangerous. Yeah, we should Man. bring you back on to talk about hashi. But yeah, there's got to be so many gems in there that you're like, how did this even get here? <laughs> I had I had written a blog post called "The Demonic Possession of Hashi Mash." <laughs> others have given talks about it at various Ruby conferences. We're like, so we fixed this problem, and then this is how it breaks in completely unobvious ways that takes three months to find out. Right. And then it's like the internet stops. <laughs> so, yeah. Because Hashi used to be in, um, it used to be a dependency in um, uh, some kind in a very popular library. I forget. I forget which mm-hmm. one, something with authentication. And uh, it was used like by Rails and everything in between. And then it broke everything. And then they were like, okay, we should probably rip it out. It's too easy to use. Right. Was it off? It was, was yeah, it was, it was uh, OmniAuth. OmniAuth, okay. Which is always another fun one because uh, the authentication strategy API was basically adopted by device, but Anyway, now we're way off track. So let's go back to Grape here for for a bit. Um, so if somebody wants to get started with Grape, what do they do? I guess it, it's the same for Rails or for Sinatra or for whatever other rack yeah. application uh, you want to build it on. I, I like to refer to um, one of the demo projects. It's like Grape on Rack or Grape on Rails. And it's basically mm-hmm. a boilerplate. And okay. you can mount Grape. You can require Grape in your gem file and then basically start writing it. So you know you mm-hmm. create a new API, it's a class, and then you mount it inside of an application, either a Rack application or a Rails application. 
and you curl your endpoint. So you know, usually right. you write some tests and stuff like that. So it's 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 like five lines of code to get started. The README is super extensive and will yeah. get you through it. Uh, pay a lot of attention to the documentation. Um, that's yeah, it, and then the off you go. Is... And then you delete the Rails, the rest of your Rails application once you've written everything with Grape, and uh, and then and use React. Oh yeah, exactly. For for the UI, uh, it's a uh, it allows you to separate the two concerns. I think the the real competitor is like GraphQL and React. Uh, that's where it's this is like a step forward. But if you are doing Rails versus you know Grape and React, yeah. you have some options. No, that makes sense. Um, if you like pain, you can put GraphQL into your Rails app. Um, and I'm not you know, joking. It's, funny. Oh, it's so I, it's such a pain. In I the kind neck. of, I kind of always thought Grape as being like the the precursor to GraphQL. In that you, when you're designing your Grape API, it's like almost like you're designing the shape of the data you want. Mm-hmm. And so, like as you're going with Grape, you're like really just looking at the shapes of the REST API endpoints that you're trying to get out of it. Well, it is REST. Like ideally, your yeah. object will be very simple, and you can you can even adopt a model like HAL HAL, and then everything's super consistent. So I've seen a lot of implementations where people would stand up with five great APIs, each responsible for a very specific concern, microservices, and then stitch them together. Stitch being forward the uh, models out of it in through GraphQL. But at that point, you might as well do GraphQL all the way. <laughs> I think, I think it's a it's a great alternative. I love GraphQL for how how nice it is to use on clients. And oh, it's really nice on the front end. Same thing. But, so it's a pain in the neck to put in the back end. I think um, there's great there's really good libraries to build up GraphQL servers. It's a very different type of thing, and I think that's why Grape is while. I, I don't know, like its usage has, I wouldn't say plateaued, but certainly not growing fast. Right. Uh, it's 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 excellent for a lot of things, but people who are building large applications today are looking, I think, for other different solutions. So, uh, yeah, let's let's pull that thread a little bit. Why do you think people are looking for different solutions? Because I, I will say, you know, as much as I complained about the complexity of the one app that I was talking about. It really is an easy tool to use, and so if you're building a semi-simple, straightforward API, I mean it. It works terrific. I think it's because we um, we want the the ease of use for a very different type of end user application these days. So it's much more mobile, and you have devices, you have screens that are very different. You have desktop applications. We want to build true isomorphic applications as well. So if you're building for the web, uh, the I would I would try to stand up a GraphQL API. I think if you're building for mobile, I would try to stand up a GraphQL API. If I'm building an API for a service that where the API is the product, I still like Grape, uh, and then maybe pick a RESTful model like a, like HAL. Uh, where the resources are just very consistent, and you can use a generic client. So I like that. Like in HAL, you say you have links and you have items and collections, and all these things are very generic. So you can use a very generic client to query the API. You don't need to write a specific Ruby client for your uh, for your. Application. Oh, okay. So you know you have tools like GraphLiant and other a bunch of other tools that allow you to. Uh, to query a HAL API, and in Ruby you can literally traverse objects. So you can do, you know, like products dot orders dot something dot like people, and all that is expressed server side through a combination of calls to Grape APIs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think Grape is is super simple. Um, depending on what what you build, it might not be the right tool. Right. So just to back up real quickly, because the other question I was going to ask is when wouldn't you want to use Grape? And it sounds like, yeah, if you're much more focused on your front end, right, and providing for a React or Angular or Vue or something else that has a very convenient GraphQL client, 
then you may want to opt for GraphQL instead of Grape. Um, I will say, though, that I have implemented GraphQL into Rails apps, and it's never fun, ever. Yeah, I, I hear you. I think we... So you're making a trade-off is what I'm saying. Fun versus uh, actually something that's awesome to use on the client. If if it's not fun for me, I have a really, really hard time writing code. That's just you. me, right? I, I may be different from other people where it's just like, you know what, it's work and I'll just sit down and buckle down and do it. Uh, for me, I mean, I would rather chew glass. <laughs> it's it it could be um, a style question like grape has support for entities and many other things I think that are quite Mm -hmm. awesome Um, it's a good it would be it would be interesting to see someone who has who has really worked through examples and pros and cons between the two Mm -hmm. and uh, built a very, so the same application using microservices with Grape or the same application with GraphQL and see how mm-hmm. the implementations compare. I think that's a, that would be yeah. a great exercise. That would be interesting. I, I'd be interested in seeing that. I might, it, might all, it might even make uh, building a GraphQL fun for a minute. Sure. So, but in, as an example, like if you were to build a service like Stripe, you, mm-hmm. GraphQL is not your right answer. An API, no. an API framework like Grape is probably the right answer. But if you're building uh, Artsy, the website where you have very rich client-side applications, then you probably will want to have a GraphQL API. They don't have to be mutually exclusive either. They can coexist in many in many places. Yep. Yeah, I always like in the graph analogy, like, you know, graph is like a bunch of nodes that are, you're, if you're dealing with relationships of data heavily, like graph is perfect for that because the graph is the relationships. <laughs> so yeah. it can represent them very easily. But like, I feel like most cases you don't need that, right? Like most data is not like so strongly coupled together. It's like you just want access to all of it and then you can yeah. build it however you need to. And I feel like that's like RESTful APIs are great for that. Like, you have various data you just need access to one-offs and collect it into how you want to shape your application that you're making, your system that you're architecting, right? Like, and oftentimes you don't need to have like, okay, well, I want to be able to like get access to that same data like from any point in my client. Like, <laughs> it just seems so unreasonable to force that by a default. Yeah, I mean, I've worked on just, systems that had like invoices with line items and the line items point to some other inventory you know where it's you know widgets or you know whatever and so you may go two or three levels deep but then you kind of understand that whole thing to be the shape of an invoice and so you could do it as a restful request right and it just sends you back all of that stuff um yeah i mean i would say like the the biggest downside of graphql is like you know, getting the performant joints together to get all that, yeah. gather all that data together. And like, uh, I feel like if you just want to like generically make this available, make this data sets available, like I feel like doing some planning ahead of time with the data structures mm-hmm. can can be more advantageous than just giving access to it and then worrying about it later. And then you're like, yeah. well, how do we make this performant? Well, the way it's structured, we can't, but we made it, you know, accessible and flexible on the client with GraphQL. And now we're just like kicking ourselves, trying to like transform this to work more performantly. <laughs> Note that we're not arguing really great versus something else. We're arguing whether your API should be a RESTful API, it should be a yeah. GraphQL API. And as all APIs, you have the same problems of N by M, fetching of data, deep relationships, mm-hmm. express, ways to express things, types, uh, clear errors, consistency, mm-hmm. availability, partition tolerance. Like if I'm building a distributed system, uh, especially, I will have very different concerns than yeah. if I'm building a single node application. So there's a lot going on. This is, it's not really a, a framework. 
question. It's more of a design of your entire application. Yeah, that makes sense. And the thing that I'm really seeing here with a lot of it is that if, and and this is some of the trade-off too, is if I have a RESTful API that's built on something like Grape or, you know, whatever, maybe I just do it in Rails. Um if I if I'm not, if I can't get the data I want from the you know from a specific endpoint, or if it's sending back way more than I need and it's not performant enough, right? Then then I start looking at you know I have to create another endpoint for that. Whereas if I if if the data is available through the GraphQL um, endpoint, then I can just attach to it. But as Valentino says. Then, then you start getting into the other it, concerns on the back end as as far as, you know, how you can performantly, you know, render it back out and do all the things there. And, do you know, do I have all the relationships set up properly so that it does what I want it to? And, you know, and so, th- yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are use cases where it makes way more sense to go one way than the other. Yeah. And, and you have caching performance mm-hmm. really matters. So there's, yeah. depending on, Depending on what API layout you choose, what, what standard you choose, you're gonna get very different patterns. I guess the 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 summary, the advice that I would give is pick pick a standard for the APIs. If you're doing something restful, I wouldn't roll your own. I would use something like HAL. Uh, like I like mm-hmm. KTOS APIs. Uh, if you're doing GraphQL, well, that's the standard, and it behaves in certain consistent ways. But just try not to roll out something custom where you have custom rolled out pagination, custom rolled out <laughs> uh, you know, structures. Yeah, keep it uh, keep it simple and consistent, and think about it too. Like figure out how you're going to do versioning if you're going to do it at all. Kind of matters mm-hmm. a lot, but from day one, right? I see so many APIs that you know, in Amazon parlance they they take, have taken so many one way doors that it's very difficult to evolve and so you have this perpetual v1 with patches and backwards compatibility nonsense that is very very hard to maintain anyway yeah that just reminds me of uh of swagger as a tool for api Mm -hmm. design well it works with grape yeah it works with grape uh and you know it does yeah it does Grape Swagger because, is probably like the second most popular Grape ecosystem project. Yeah, I, I think uh, I remember adopting Swagger as part of the Grape <laughs> documentation extension because uh, it just like automatically did it uh, and gave you know gave the docs right away. It's it fantastic. It's really nice. Yeah, because Grape Grape is um, it, it types your API like there is a whole parameter type system that uh, used to be implemented on top of a library called Virtus and something else now. And that uh, you define your parameters. So you, you now have a strong uh, RESTful API that has optional required fields and all these things have types. And you can serialize, deserialize objects. And so with Swagger, you get all this type spec and UI to play. Like you get a playground to query the great API out of the box. That's why people love it because it's just like put glue it together and you you're done. You yeah, I mean, I think in like half an hour. I was just like you know supporting your like HAL framework. You know, like pick a framework and pick a a standard, right? Because like being able to plug Grape right into Swagger, right? Like it it just took care of so many other things that I didn't have to. Yeah, clients. Like yeah, generate the client for your idea. Yeah. Yeah, I always thought Swagger had to be a certain kind of API, but a grape kind of API. <laughs> a grape kind. Of... <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a flavor of medicine, right? Take your medicine. <laughs> cough, cough. Right. So, a couple things that I'm just going to throw out there. Um, I know that some of these answers are easy to find, but you know, it's it's nice when you're listening to a podcast like this to kind of get the, oh, okay, it can do that, right? So um, one of the questions I have for you is if I'm using something like device in my Rails app or Rodoff in Rota or something like that, how do I translate my um, users over to an API so that, you know, 
yeah, do I have to switch to like token based or is there some other way around it or OAuth yeah, yeah. or what am I looking at here? Yeah, you should be implementing OAuth. And uh, as an example, there's other ways, but uh, there is all these frameworks plug on top of Grape. They're not really mm -hmm. Grape's concerns, but right. we explain how to do this in the documentation. Um, you you know, an API has, does you don't want to mix uh, permissions inside the objects, which is what Rails does with things like device. And you, you make a lot, you can make a lot of mistakes in Rails with device uh, because the no, there's no real clear place where authentication authorization happens in like some order. Mm -hmm. So it can be, I've seen people be very confused with what's called in what order and when is the permissioning happening. So with Grape, it's really a tangent concern. You, know, you layer it in all the right places. So it doesn't right. have like first class users or anything like that. You just use a gem like OmniAuth. Okay. So you could, for example, on my on top end devs, right? We have we're using device. So I could just set up doorkeeper on top of it and then use my access key on the API. Yeah, I don't remember how to do it with uh with device because device is all about where you store these things and then the strategies uh -huh. that come on top. Like, but in um in Grape, you would have an API like class. You know, API, and you just include mm -hmm. an OmniAuth strategy. Okay, and that's that is what is sitting in front of your API, and then if you are, you know, OmniAuth will have you'll 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 include the OmniAuth strategy as a namespace, and then you can use whatever because Grape is a rack based application. You'll say something like use rack session cookie and rack use OmniAuth strategies. You know, Facebook, and right. that's it. So. You don't. You're not going to be checking uh, any of this stuff. And then form, you'll configure OmniAuth by saying, like, uh, I think it's like use OmniAuth Builder, and uh, you have to say what provider is and the keys and you know that kind of stuff. So again, it's like it's tangent to the API, but it sits together and works in front of Grape to right. do permissioning. And it it's rack mounted, so it's like an order stacked. Mm -hmm. So then you can put, you use the OmniAuth strategy in front of some of the APIs that need to be authenticated in your public APIs. Yeah, it's an it's an API. So like I have APIs mm -hmm. which are token based and then right. some that are user based backed by a database. All, all this is, like Doorkeeper is a fine way of doing it. Mm -hmm. um, Doorkeeper, OmniAuth. Off to like all this stuff, but for an API, you should be picking authentication for uh, for an API. Um, for I actually, now that I Google myself, I've I've written a whole blog post on how to do <laughs> device and grape in oh my god, 2011. Uh, I'll, I'll paste it here in notes if you want to share it later. I don't think it's I wouldn't use this anymore. This is old. It's probably a better way. To do this, but it it does it it does uh, mix device and uh, grape, which I think is probably not a great idea. I'll just post it in the comments on Facebook and yeah. YouTube, and then we'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. The way so what about like device has this thing called Ward, and then mm -hmm. yeah. Warden oh, so you're hooking into Warden. Because Warden plays on Rack. Yeah. What about testing your APIs? Yeah, so this is Rack test, and that works out of the box. Okay. There's no mystery. So all the all the tests, you should be writing tests, obviously, for your API. So it's like you, you get the path, and then you expect to have last response status and expect last response body and all this kind of stuff, which is very restful. You know, there's no other nonsense in there. You don't try it like ex expect this call to respond with like some kind of JSON. Like you, mm -hmm. you're you're manipulating a restful API response. So it's it's rack test. I see this is mostly like HTTP protocol related. Have you have you tried like bending it ever to be a different protocol? Like if I wanted to do like like what? 
uh, gRPC, protobuf? Right. It's a, it's a good question. So one of the things um, one of my colleagues is working on is enabling protobuf for open search. And the, we already have some POCs. I think our next major release has HTTP2 support. And so the idea is to do protobuf on top of HTTP2 and gRPC on clients. So yeah, that sounds fun. Like I've not touched that at all in, with Grape. I don't know. I would I would probably want to write a separate library for this, but um, you have, you know you have transport, you have the data being transported. Grape is very HTTP. Like it's uh, it's really the language is HTTP, but it would be nice to magically improve throughput between clients and servers mm. and, and provide different protocols than HTTP. Just don't know if if I guess there's there's Java has all these transport libraries and they're super generic. And in Ruby we tend to take a more opinionated way and say, well there's a library for HTTP, there's another library for protobuf and God knows what. So you're mm -hmm. don't, don't you don't need to mix the two in some abstract thing because it's you're unlikely to switch between one and another probably there's more more code doing adaptation of these things than code that actually does something useful so like you you can be configuring things <laughs> with spring right and you have a million configuration files or you can just write the code that does the thing that you want uh, if you're building large enterprise scary applications Maybe spring is the right answer for you, but if you are like me and want to make stupid things simple, and then lots of stupid simple things, maybe uh, you want something else. Yeah, no, grape grape is not expanding its scope. It's uh, very much like what it is, and it, it's not like Rails keeps expanding its scope and adding mm -hmm. features like Turbolinks or you know React or whatever else is happening in Rails. It's constantly evolving to be something new. It's like the best framework to be, build applications in Ruby. It's the best kitchen sink for Ruby, uh, yep. but in Ruby for uh, for applications that are just like general purpose applications. Grape is not that at all. It's not competing with Rails in any way. I, I always thought the async framework was the kitchen sink of Ruby. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much about um, what what can be done in the sync. The only times I've touched a sync code is in um, in the Slack Ruby client, and there's quite a bit of a sync going on in there because the server supports it. And yeah, like it's probably like another generation of frameworks will do a sync things. I don't know anything about it to be honest. I don't what either. Do, what do you have any other uh, any other ideas of the a library to write or something like what's the problem that you'd like to solve uh i mean most recently uh right just like uh sse right like server-side events or server-sent events so with OpenAI as an example like long-form streamed responses or uh you know http2 interfaces kind of uh but it seems like less Bigger, it seems like a lot of these large language model related things uh, aren't built on HTTP two. It's it's more gone toward the server sent events related uh, streaming protocols. So uh, <laughs> that's yeah. that's where I've been recently, and so uh, it's hard because the the protocols are simple, but there's not really a lot of support for it. <laughs> someone someone asked. Uh, as of last week, a question about streaming support in Grape, and Grape, of course, supports streaming. It's a, it's not HTTP two, but you can start a response and then stream incremental uh, responses down to your client as they come in. So then, their example is exactly that: is that they are having a conversation with OpenAI, and they're getting responses incrementally and want to send them downstream incrementally. That totally works. Oh, nice. That, that that entire support is in Grape and it's supported in React and it works with all these frameworks and it, you can literally see the responses go incrementally one after another with like one second delay. Um, I'll, I'll dig up the GitHub issue. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the next issue I have is like testing that. <laughs> like, I've, I've had to like, you know, get a, a VCR cassette and, and replay it that way. And it's still not like <laughs> your, your clients have to support that. Does Grape support like replaying like a, an event stream? In like a, with, with pauses. So I, I've written um, for this streaming issue, I've written the uh, uh, test, but it, the test does. Um, I've written an integration test with Capybara, which in, the, this is really hacky, I think. Uh, the UI, there's a UI that makes an AJAX request to my Grape server that does a loop of five seconds, sleeps one second every second, and returns, you know, one, two, three, four, five. On the client, the JavaScript says, on progress, render the data. So in Capybara, you will see as a result, you know, one, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, five. So the total response will eventually be the sum of these things. Some of them. <laughs> so that's how I wrote the test for streaming. That's how I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm just curious. Uh, but but you can you, you should not that it's bad. It's not it. it does it does it right like. Well, you can stop and say uh, that grape calls stream with like this argument. Right. Uh, you don't need to test that. The, in this case, somebody was claiming that uh, it doesn't work. Right? So, but you have, I think you have, uh, and the problem was a bug in Rack, and it was in like a very specific version of Rack. Huh. And the demo was that, like, look, it does work, except in the specific version of Rack. So, this is a bug in Rack. That's where the test belongs of that you can actually stream. But for an API, all you care about is that it returns you the right data. So what's the return from your API? It's the total data that is going to be returned at the end. Whether it's streamed or not streamed, you should defer to the Rack library that is doing the correct thing or not the correct thing. That's, that's how I think it. Like The API, did it receive the stream? Like, yes. It's stream is just the transport. You, you care you know, that your API has the correct data. And you can just do expect last response body to equal the total thing. Yeah, I, I guess the the other side of that is, uh, you know, cases like OpenAI not following the uh, convention for the event stream protocol, uh, and you know, how do you handle those test cases where, uh, you know, the the response? I guess you do it the same way; you stitch them together. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's all moving very fast. It's right. very <laughs> Don't write tests. It's it's moving much faster than your uh, <laughs> tests with uh, with Gen AI. It's gonna error anyway. Like they'll be down next week. We are just missing the HTTP error code. Like, hmm, I'm not sure. <laughs> so I'm curious. Like, how do you how do you come into like taking on Grape and Hashi and all this? Like, how does that like? Are you super motivated to just like take on these projects or? Hell no. <laughs> As you know, open source is a, is a, is a great world where one person out there will be 479 contributors, and this one person that will be awful, and they will ruin it for you. So, um, I think for me, it's always been a scratch my own itch. Um, I really believe in that open source software is good for business. So I, I totally not, don't care about it being great for humanity or improving the world, or it's free because it benefits someone. I don't care. I, I was born in the USSR, so you know, I've, I've already lived in one communist country. Um, and so I come to it as I need something, and then I really think open source is the way to go because... Uh, I can build on top of what other people have built, or I can start something that nobody has built, and I don't need to do it all the way. Right? I just need to do the parts that I need, and so I can help myself in my own mm -hmm. selfish business or otherwise needs. And uh, the best place to do it is in open source because uh, I can stop at any time. There's no expectations. At least you know, mo most people don't have any. I can help myself, so as long as I have time and hands and a brain, I can write it. Um, and 
my my goal has always been to just do that, just do the parts that interest you. Um, eventually, if a project is something that I need constantly, I'll start wanting to improve it, not just contribute to it. And that's what happened with things like great. I uh, I got interested in the topics. Uh, I uh, was writing code myself, but also other people were writing code, and it was a way for me to learn uh, what other people are doing. And Sometimes you have like an amazing contributor come in and make a significant improvement. Uh, and uh, I learned so much from just re looking at the contribution, code reviewing it, for example. It's like uh, uh, one of the great maintainers last week uh, make it, made a pull request for, with Zeitwerk, replacing autoload with Zeitwerk. I don't know what this thing is, but I, I, I read the PR, I re read about Zeitwerk, I learned a lot about what why and what it is, and I became a better engineer by doing so. And I think they are they did a much better job than I could have at this. But they they have a real need, and I'm just you know a gatekeeper on their way to having this code merge. So we we write awesome software this way. And for me, collaborating with really strong engineers that don't work for the same company is a wonderful experience. So I just get sucked in because uh, these open source projects don't follow organizational boundaries. They don't have deadlines. They don't have a business riding on them where non-engineers participate. So it's like my own people, and uh, I like working with them. And then uh, it's, it's very satisfying. It, that, that's how I get. That's why I'm, I'm, I do this. That's why I still maintain great, because I only use it for pet projects. Uh, I, I could just check out. Yeah, like, I, I, I agree with you a lot. Ruby on the network yeah. with Grape in like five years. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I mean, I share your sentiment a lot on the uh, the open source just being like a rewarding experience <laughs> for, for yourself, yeah. right? Like, oh, and the money. Yeah. The, money yeah. the money is great. <laughs> so, <laughs> but to be, to be uh, I, I'm, I'm half facetious about this because open source has absolutely enabled me to have a career in which I'm paid a lot of money to write software. Like I'm an individual contributor and was CTO of a company for eight years. So I, I was able to go back to being an individual contributor because a large company values my contributions as an IC. And 99% of that work has been open source. So people can see it. I don't need to, if people ask me like what, what it is that you do, I'm like, look at GitHub. Here's all my, here are the contributions. Like you, you know how I work by reading those. And it's not all the work, but it's a big part of my work. I totally, I'm, I am paid to write open source software today. I, I mean, I'm paid to to uh, to create business value for the commercial business for which I work. But right. the the means to that end are open source software. Yeah, you know, I'm I use open source software all the time, right? And so, like, if I'm ever like. Uh, I'll just, if I ever use or add a new package or something, I'll like go look at it and just see are there any open issues like I could just do or like that mm -hmm. align with what I'm working on. And then sometimes there are, and I just do with them, right? Like, and it's really like that easy <laughs> to get involved in open source. And also, like you know, in, instead of just like using everything, <laughs> which you know early on it's very easy to do, you know, especially if you're not like familiar enough or you feel, like there's that distancing where you're like oh, i'm not good enough to participate even right uh which i think is a lot of a hard problem with open source um is there is that kind of like uh you know i, I forget the word for it <laughs> but you know i imposter, you, imposter syndrome well. yeah imposter syndrome there's so, so much of that <laughs> i mean i i I wrote one unit test for Lucene, and it's like a terrifying experience <laughs> because <laughs> you, you, have, uh, you have like a bunch of rocket scientists that are uh, <laughs> writing deep search engine stuff. And here I am, like trying to argue with someone that like this needs a test, and I think we can write one. And it's like compare the result is one or two, you know. And so no, yeah. it's. Imposter syndrome is something you'll never get rid of. Yeah. Uh, especially like these things are have been around for so long. This great 479 contributors. Like yeah. you, you, this is what you're up against. It's this many people. So on on people who are maintaining 
these projects on them to make this super easy and uh, uh, and, and welcoming. And then, of course, on the contributors to stick around. I all I write so many times in comments after the fifteenth time that I asked the contributor to please please put a period at the end of the sentence in your typo read me. Like every time I type this, I'm like, just thank you for hanging in here with me. I'm going to be OCD about all this stuff uh, because I I want it. I want your change. Right. I just want it to be perfect as if I had written it, but you're writing it. You get all the credit, all the, like you did it, but I'm going to keep the bar very, very high, including for small, stupid things. So the only difference will be how long it will take. And so please, like you'll learn something from this experience and I might learn something from this experience and we will have, it will be done. But just you have to persevere. Awesome. Uh, that said, I'm going to change gears for us to start wrapping up, mainly because I have a hard stop in 20 minutes and I never know how long picks are going to go. Um, but if people want to learn more about Grape or check in with you on social media or GitHub, where do they find you, Daniel? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm dblock everywhere. D B L O C K. I have a website. It's dblock.org. So if you're interested in coding, it's code dblock.org. Interested in running, it's run dblock.org. <laughs> interested in art, it's <laughs> art dblock.org. On Twitter, I'm dblock.org, spelled out D O T O R G. So uh, no, lots of it's it's a it's a nickname from the computer underground, which is we could talk about this for the next two hours, but. It was in, in like 1993, someone uh, brought me to this garage and like, pick a username. And it was a wall of modems. And uh, and I said, Block, mm. because that's a pseudonym my dad used for a long time after the Russian writer Alexander Block. Uh, he used it because we, we had immigrated to Europe from the USSR and he didn't want to use his uh, real last name for different reasons. So I did Block, but it had to be six characters. So it became D-Block. And mm. Uh, and then I I hesitated to the the rap band D Block wanted my domain name, but uh, they're from the Bronx. I didn't love their music, so I didn't sell. <laughs> I love it. I'm still D Block. They're great though. They're great people. Cool. Um. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Uh, Valentino, do you have some picks? Yeah, I got a couple here. Uh. Uh, the first one I was uh, playing around with uh, GPTs, OpenAI's GPT stuff, and I made uh, a software architect mentor so I can help hash your ideas as I'm designing systems and stuff. Uh, and I'm nowhere near a software architecture ar- architect, so <laughs> I-, I hope to maybe aspire to be one eventually. So I've like uploaded a bunch of documents related to you know d- design patterns and uh, system frameworks and things like that, and mashed them all together into documents that it could use for its retrieval system. And it's been really fun. I'll just like throw it on ch- uh, the chat GPT app and just go for a walk and talk with it back and forth. And it's been really uh, kind of fun. <laughs> so check that out if you want. Uh, it's kind of fun. Um, and uh, I- I'm not really sold on the whole GPT thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if they're like, you know, app store or whatever will will actually bear any fruit, but it's the the builder that they have where you just like chat to build whatever new thing of it. It's it's an interesting concept, uh, and it's kind of fun yep. to play with. Uh, and the other one I have is uh, if you're not familiar, Simone Gertz is like a pseudo inventor. Like she's behind the truck, or was it a uh, the the Tesla truck original? I forget what she called it. It was like a Trucula. I think it was Trucula. (laughs) Uh, But she made, she designs all these small little things and she came up with a a foldable hanger. And so she has a Kickstarter now where you you can put your clothes on a hanger and fold it in half for like a, if you have a small closet, it's pretty neat. Very cool. Yeah. Can you put links to those in the show notes or in the comments? Um, I'm going to throw out a couple of picks. So uh, I usually do a board game pick. And um, I'm trying to remember the last game I picked on one of the other shows um, or on this show. (laughs) I'll just pick one that I've played recently. It's called Acropolis. I might have picked this one on this show before. If I have, I'm sorry. Um, 
Board Game Geek weights it at 1.79, so it's a real easy game for uh, people who don't like the the deep extended time games. Um, and what you do is you're basically building a city, and you have they're they're hex squares, but you get you get them in in basically uh, tiles of three hex squares, and you just you can either expand your city outward or you can expand your city upward. Um, and you get scored based on um, the different colors. So you get a star for every, uh, or you get stars on your tiles, and then the stars is the multiplier for the color that the star is for everyone that counts, right? So red, red square, or red t- uh, hexes are have to be on the edge. Uh, yellow hexes have to be not touching other yellow hexes. The blue ones only count if they're part of the largest group of blues. And then, yeah, when you place the tiles, um, whatever stars are showing on top are the multipliers for those. Uh, I think greens, all the greens count. Um, I think there are purple ones that are um, not on the edge. I can't remember. But anyway, uh, any it, it's real fun. You play one to four players. I've played it with three and four players, and, and it was fun. So uh, I'll put a link to it in the in the show notes and into the comments on uh, YouTube and stuff. And then um, one of them is going to be for Board Game Geek, just so you can go and get more information on it. The other one's going to be an affiliate link, and I'll just call that out on Amazon. Uh, besides that, I just finished. Um, I, I listen to a lot of books on Amazon. Some of them have kind of a political bent to them, and I haven't been picking them. But um, I, I think I think I'm gonna take the chance, and then people can tell me that they're not comfortable with it, and I can tell them that's nice. Um, but he makes a lot of good points, and it'd be interesting. I'd be really interested to just talk through some of the points in this book with other folks. But the book's called Unwoke. It's by Ted Cruz, and uh, yeah, just talk through some of the ideas in it. Um, I tend to agree with Ted Cruz on a lot of things. Um, but sometimes I'm also aware that I'm not hearing the other side. And so, you know, just, just to make sure that I understand the issues from other points of view, I'm happy to have those conversations, but, uh, unwoke it, I thought it was, I thought it was a well put together book. Um, the, uh, the real issue I have with a lot of, especially the, um, federal politics is that, neither party makes me very happy at the federal level. Um, I tend to get more involved in the state and local politics just because those tend to hit closer to home, literally and figuratively, um, right? Because your state is what sets your educational policy. Um, Your state is what sets, you know, usually is the entity that's managing your roads and things like that. Your city is, you know, uh, their growth. Like we have a major traffic problem in the city I live in and it's because they've, um, opted to put in a lot of high density housing and they hadn't paid attention to the infrastructure, right? So, um, anyway, so, so I, I tend to get involved in those because, you know, every day I have to drive my kids to school and I have to drive through that traffic. It's like, all right, why are we not thinking about this stuff? So, anyway, um, I'll put a link to that as well. But, uh, that, yeah, that's the latest book I've read. The one I'm reading now and this one I'm really liking too. Um, I'm not all the way through it, so my opinion may change, but I kind of doubt it. It's called No More Mr. Nice Guy. It's by Dr. Robert Glover. Um, it's mostly aimed at men who are trying to find satisfaction in their life. Um, but uh, and, and I identify with some of the things in it, not others. But I know people who, on some of the things that I, I don't particularly struggle with, that do struggle with it. And so I think this would be a helpful book if you're a man and you're not satisfied with your, your life and you feel like you're always taking care of everybody else and, you know, kind of facing some burnout and stuff like that. This, this book kind of covers a lot of those ideas. So I'll put links to those in the show notes as well. Uh, Daniel, what are your picks? Let's see. Um, If you want to talk politics, we'll go into Twitter, but so I won't go here. (laughs) Uh, But, um, I'll recommend an art book. Uh, so for a change, uh, paste it here in comments. Uh, I one of my favorites is Self Portrait by Man Ray. Um, will you repost the link to to the other channel? 
mm-hmm. and then uh, I think uh, for a tech pick, the quick. So I work on Open Search. Uh, it's a it's a search engine. It's a fork of Elasticsearch and Kibana. It's it's quite a wild, large open source project that is doing quite well, very well actually. And uh, I th- it, it's doing a ton of Gen AI these days, uh, and it's 100% open source. I think you'll find a lot of places both to contribute and a lot of low-hanging fruit and a lot of really complicated stuff. There's hundred, many hundreds of contributors uh, to, to this, but it's also 112, I think, GitHub repos in the um, open search GitHub organization under GitHub Open Search Project. So if you're if you're a fan of Go, which you know you shouldn't be, uh, you can go and contribute to <laughs> Open Search Go. And if you're a fan of Rust, you have, you can do Open Search Rust. It's uh, there's there's a bit for everyone. And if you like factories, producers, connector factories, another. Java thing. There's a whole 1.5 million lines of code uh, core. Was it four million? I forget. Some millions of lines of code search engine that's been around for quite some time. Uh, lots of plugins like KNN, nearest neighbor search, and observability, and so on and so forth. So amazing place to get started in open source and be writing production code in the end with a lot of support from uh, contribute from other contributors, maintainers. Uh, that is that. That will be my picks for for today. Oh, maybe one more. Uh, oh, if you, if you if you like if you like to think very differently, one of the websites that I always recommend to people is Arena, uh, which is really a it, it's it's hard to describe. It's like a platform for connecting ideas and building knowledge. That's what it's uh, um, it, it's its name is. It's been around for quite some time. It's uh, a user supported independent social network for uh, something like between delicious and Pinterest and it's its its own thing. It's nothing like, it's like nothing else. So if you're, if you obsessively bookmark things, then that's definitely for you Uh, and check it out. It's written in Ruby for the most part, as far as I know. Oh, nice. That's it for me. All right, good deal. Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and make sure that I get the rest of these links in the comments, and then we'll wrap it up. But thanks for coming. This was fun. Thank you for having me.